lecture fourteen part three of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture fourteen the humility of faith part three faith demands a certain elevation of the sentiments as st chrysostom observes and a certain energy of soul to surmount the impressions of the senses and to triumph over the proud ignorance of human reason there is no true faith but what rises above the prejudices of custom what can be so magnificent to a creature still tied to earth and earthly sense and earthly ways as to live mentally in a sphere of divine truth invisible to mortal eyes and in that vast sphere of light whatever its shadows of obscuration to tread the secure firmament of truth with the movements of his mind and wing his thoughts upwards from earth to heaven from light to light from truth to truth from mystery to mystery in the wonder of his soul his heart ever following his mind with love and veneration what so sublime to him as the meditations of faith where whilst the body still holds to its native earth the spirit soars to heaven and his faith converses with the father the son and the holy spirit looks up with awe unto the glorious majesty of god and aspires with hoping love unto his infinite goodness and clemency and the heart is purified by every ray of descending light and expanded with every grace from the eternal love faith looks with lucid eyes upon jesus christ the author and finisher of our faith now glorified in our human nature at the right hand of god faith looks upon him executing his mission of salvation to the world now listening to his divine words and opening the heart that they may sink with his light into its depths now gazing upon the awful spectacle of his passion and crucifixion inexhaustible in its depths of mystery and grace to faith and love and gratitude there we behold the living door to the eternal sheepfold through which all who are saved must pass and his wounds are as the open gates through which we have access to his spirit and his life i am the alpha and omega the first and the last the beginning and the end blessed are they who wash their robes in the blood of the lamb that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in by the gates into the city apocalypse chapter twenty two verses thirteen and fourteen faith also contemplates the son of god ever present in his church serving in this world of trial enlightening her with his eternal light and quickening her life with his spirit and partaking of his light the faithful soul partakes also of his crucified spiritualized and glorified body the sacrament of life in which the plenitude of the godhead dwells united in communion of light and charity with the angels and saints and with all believing souls whom the light of christ embraces the faithful soul is conscious of being within this vast communion of prayer 
that extends from the hearts of the poor on earth to the spirits of the seraphim that burn in love and adoration before the eternal throne of god and is conscious too that we like them are the children of god the brethren of christ and the heirs of heaven o wonderful faith embracing our spirits with the divine light wonderful light sealing our souls with the seals of eternal truth wonderful truth setting our souls free from the petty confines of this world and opening the eternal heavens to our contemplation wonderful heavens in which is the supreme good for which our souls are made the soul filled with the light of faith is filled with christ and with the father and in that soul the holy spirit spreads his love and whilst the wonder of what the soul contemplates in faith grows ever more and more the wonder grows less and less that men of faith should leave all things for god and should even cheerfully give their mortal lives to martyrdom that their faith may be changed more quickly into vision as faith rests not on human reason or judgment but is imposed on man by the authority of god and is received in humble obedience to that sovereign authority even before we know by full possession the magnificence of the gift we must expect to find it taught in the holy scriptures from this point of view accordingly st paul calls the assent of the will to faith the obedience of faith romans chapter sixteen verse twenty six and st peter calls the faithful the sons of obedience one peter chapter one verse fourteen st paul says to the romans we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith in all nations for his name romans chapter one verse five and he asks the galatians who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes jesus christ hath been set forth crucified among you galatians chapter three verse one to the corinthians the apostle rises into more elevated language to display the power of faith the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty to god unto the pulling down of fortifications destroying councils and every height that exalteth itself against the knowledge of god bringing into captivity every understanding unto the obedience of christ 2 corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5 the weapons of the church are the truth the grace and the virtue of christ the powers to be overcome are the strongholds of unbelieving science the counsels of worldly wisdom and the pride that lifts itself against the knowledge of god the capacity of the understanding in the obedience of faith is a deliverance from the captivation of error to the captivation of truth as the apostle says in another place of the work of christ he led captivity captive he gave gifts to men ephesians chapter four verse eight the whole language of the sacred scriptures indicates that faith is a humble submission of the mind as well as of the will 
to the eternal wisdom and reason of god yet not a blind or compelled submission but a free enlightened willing and contented submission as all but who have the unspeakable gift of faith know by experience st jerome says with great truth that it is ridiculous for a man to dispute the faith before he possesses it he may dispute on the evidences that lead to faith but what faith itself is as it rests on light and grace in the soul he cannot understand before experience how can he understand the power of that abiding grace that lifts the will to the divine light in the mind embracing the greatest of all truths without study or effort yet with a free and grateful adhesion how can he understand the wonderful harmony that reigns between the truth taught and the light within the mind how can he understand the marvellous facility with which children baptized in their infancy so soon as their minds are opened drink in the expositions of faith as though their nature assisted them yet it is not their nature but their supernatural light and grace that prepare their mind and will the first two chapters of the catechism contain the profoundest questions that have ever engaged the mind of man and are what human science would call the most abstruse metaphysics and yet the catholic child can enter into them with intelligence can hold them firmly in their order and sequence and give a clear account of them whilst the man without faith however well trained will labor in vain to make them a part of his intelligence why but because he wants the humility of faith and his mind is not open to them why but because he is striving to measure the divine reason and truth with his own small measure of reason why but because he never reflects that truths that are so great and so high above the scope of his native mind can only be received by submission to their author and must be believed that the soul may possess them before she can understand them for unless you believe you shall not understand isaiah chapter seven verse nine but when faith is established in the soul it illuminates the reason with its divine light and reason obedient to the light of faith devotes its own light to the service of faith as a loyal and devoted servant for these two lights which have one and the same origin though they come to us by different ways reunite in the soul and from their union has sprung the most magnificent of sciences the science of theology this cooperation of reason with faith has been admirably explained in the authoritative words of the council of the vatican which we here translate the perpetual consent of the church of god hath held and doth hold that there are two orders of knowledge which are not only distinct in their principle but in their object in their principle because we know the one by reason and the other by divine faith and in their object because beyond those things that can be reached by natural reason there are the mysteries hidden in god which are proposed to our belief 
and which we could not know unless they were divinely revealed to us wherefore the apostle testifies that god was known to the gentiles through the things that are made but in speaking of the grace and truth that is made through jesus christ he says we speak the wisdom of god in a mystery a wisdom that is hidden which god ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew but to us god has revealed them by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things yea the deep things of god one corinthians chapter two verses seven through ten and the only begotten son confessed to the father because he had hidden these things from the wise and prudent and had revealed them to little ones but when reason is illuminated by faith and seeks diligently piously and soberly it obtains by the gift of god a certain knowledge of the mysteries which is most fruitful as well from the analogy with things that are naturally known as from the connection of these mysteries with one another and with the final end of man yet is never able to comprehend those truths as in their own nature they exist for in their own nature the divine mysteries so far exceed the created intelligence that even when delivered by revelation and received by faith they are still covered with the veil of faith and remain concealed within a certain darkness so long as in this mortal life we are absent from the lord for we walk by faith and not by sight thus whilst faith is far above opinion because the truths of faith are known to us as most certain fixed and unchangeable it is beyond the comprehension of science from the very nature of the truths revealed and the limitations of the human intellect also because it is a part of the design of god that faith should be our probation before we are rewarded with the divine vision yet as we have seen faith is not without knowledge and the knowledge increasing with the growth of faith and piety we know in part says st paul but however much we know we can never comprehend for how can the human mind encompass the infinity of god or take the measure of divine and eternal things and what we know is not the cause but the effect of faith the fruit which the divine revelation produces in the soul commenting on the words of christ you shall know the truth st augustine asks did they not know the truth when the lord spoke it to them but if they knew how did they believe it they believed it not because they knew it but they believed that they might know it for what we shall know neither eye hath seen nor ear heard nor hath it entered into the heart of any man to conceive what is faith but to believe what you do not see but to know the truth is to see what you have believed faith is in its nature catholic or universal that is to say it extends to all the truth that god has revealed and which the church of christ teaches from his divine authority for it is not what a man chooses but what god imposes that forms the body of faith 
and constitutes its integral object and what a man may not know explicitly from want of instruction he believes implicitly because he accepts the whole revelation of god without distinction the divine faith is parallel in this respect with the divine law which forms a part of the faith the creed is a law of obedience as well as the decalogue and both rest on the same divine authority st james teaches that whosoever shall keep the whole law but offend in one point is guilty of all st james chapter two verse ten the reason is that he offends against that principle of justice and that authority of god on which the whole law rests and from which every point of law proceeds so that he who grievously offends in one point offends against the principle of justice and the authority of god and consequently loses the grace of justice and the friendship of god so also is it with the law of faith to reject one point of doctrine revealed by god and proposed by the church of christ is to reject the principle on which faith is founded and is a rebellion against the authority of god so that he who disbelieves one point is guilty of all in other words as he who sins grievously in one point has lost all justice he who disbelieves in one point has lost all faith for this reason the apostles called those who accepted some points of their teaching and rejected others by the name of heretics which translated from greek into english signifies choosers for these men set their own private judgments above the authority of christ and of his church and thrust their natural reason into the revelation of god from which they choose some things and reject others reducing faith to human opinion and destroying the very principle of faith but who hath known the mind of god who can say what is truth with him who can dictate to the eternal truth and say to him this i will allow to be thy truth but this i shall not allow we hear much outside the church about the beauty of a simple creed by which is meant a small low creed that contains much of the reason of man and little of the reason of god and bears all the marks of human construction on its visage but these makers of simple creeds forget that the more truth and the higher the truth the more simplicity that the greater of all beings is the most simple of all and that the more truth the more liberty although we must grant that it requires more humility in creatures so far beneath that truth for the difficulty is not in the truth but in the disposition of the soul to receive the truth what gives freedom to the soul our lord tells us the truth shall set you free st john chapter eight verse thirty two but these choosers think that the less truth the more freedom more freedom from humility certainly for as david says in thy truth thou hast humbled me psalm one hundred eighteen verse seventy five 
for the greater above our nature the truth revealed to us the less we feel ourselves to be again then we ask what gives freedom to the soul not less truth but more truth provided we enter into it it is ignorance not truth that destroys freedom every increase of truth enlarges the soul and increases her freedom for her liberty is proportioned to the extent and greatness and elevation of the truth in which the soul can live and move and grow you might as well think of cutting off some of a man's limbs to perfect his body or of taking out some of his faculties to perfect his soul as to take away portions of divine revelation to perfect the creed this is the process of heresy applying human criticism to divine things which necessarily ends in negation and protest for it is the measuring of infinite things with finite intelligence but that very intelligence tells us that we must expect god to say what we cannot comprehend and to do what we could not anticipate the incarnation and the cross are the answer to everything there are not a few persons who would find it equally agreeable to their natural inclinations to choose a simpler code of law out of the decalogue but the cry of conscience and of human law is too strong to allow of this yet even to this has the cry of atheism reached in these unbelievable times so true it is that the destruction of faith leads to the destruction of morality and all in the name of freedom but the eternal truth has said if you continue in my word you shall be my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free st john chapter eight verses thirty one and thirty two if god has exhibited to us the riches of his truth and the wealth of his grace to make us partakers of his inexhaustible goodness if he has offered us such an abundant provision of means for perfecting our souls and bringing us to his kingdom that it rivals and even exceeds the copious provisions of his providence for our earthly life who are we that we should refuse his divine generosity who are we that we should pick and choose select and reject among the divine gifts of the omnipotent goodness who or what are we that we should say god can do this but he cannot do that who are we to prescribe bounds to the power wisdom and generosity of god what right have we to judge after god who alone knows what we are what we want and what we ought to be or to determine for ourselves what he alone can determine namely the conditions on which he will receive us to eternal life it was after contemplating the state of unbelief in which all men were included that the mercy of god might reach all through faith that struck with the withering poverty of that unbelief by the side of the wealthiness of faith st paul exclaimed oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and of the knowledge of god how incomprehensible are his judgments and how unsearchable his ways for who hath known the mind of the lord 
or who hath been his counsellor or who hath first given to him and recompense shall be made him for of him and by him and in him are all things to him be glory for ever romans chapter eleven verses thirty three through thirty six god has given his great revelation that he may be glorified in the souls of men but the unbelievers refuse him this glory what is the revelation of the holy trinity but the manifestation of the life of god what the revelation of his eternal word but the manifestation of his infinite truth but he is also revealed as the giver of light to all intelligences what is the revelation of his holy spirit but that of his infinite love and sanctity but he is also revealed as the giver of grace and sanctity to angels and to men what is the open and visible incarnation of the son of god but the crowning of his creation and the recovery to its divine end of an intelligent creation lost to god what is it to believe in christ but to believe all that he is in his divine and human nature all that he has taught all that he has done for us and all that he has ordained and provided for our salvation and sanctification christ is not divided he was divided on the cross for our redemption but he lives for ever and can be divided no more whoever attempts to divide his authority his truth his sacraments or his church divides not christ but divides himself from christ humility then is the groundwork of faith and faith the groundwork of the other christian virtues which are all exercised in the light of faith humility frees the soul from pride and error faith fills her with light and truth humility opens the soul that faith may enter humility brings us to the knowledge of ourselves and faith to the knowledge of god but the knowledge of god brings so great an increase to the knowledge of ourselves when we use that knowledge rightly that humility may be said to rest on faith as much as faith rests on humility so that as st chrysostom remarks humility is the inseparable companion of faith and indeed it is that element in the virtue of faith that subjects the mind to god and to his truth and then faith becomes the eye of humility for it opens to us such a view of god and of divine and eternal things above and beyond us and shows us to be so little so poor and defective by the contrast that we are led to exclaim with the psalmist in thy truth thou hast humbled me psalm 118 verse 75 and as the light of faith illuminates the creature as well as the creator and shows us the horrors of error and vice as well as the splendors of truth and justice and gives us the power to see and to weigh the value of all things from the divine point of view faith dispels our errors and rectifies our judgments faith therefore both exalts and humbles us it exalts us in the light of god 
in the knowledge of what god is to us and in the knowledge of our noble destiny it humbles us in the sight of our nothingness apart from the mercy grace and providence of god but to quote the great saint leo the force and wisdom of faith is the love of god and of our neighbour for charity is the life of faith and faith is the light of charity but each illuminates the other for whilst faith gives its luminous truth to charity charity gives its fire and ardent sense of god to faith and so faith works by charity for charity gives its force to the will to cleave to the truth of god for the love of god faith is the end of the divine incarnation and god is the end of faith humility is the counterpart of faith in the soul and charity is its perfection wherefore let us cultivate humility that we may have a larger soul for faith and charity and faith that we may have a greater light from god and deeper knowledge of the eternal mysteries and charity that we may obtain the fruit of faith and humility through the closer union of our soul with god but faith is cultivated by prayer and by meditation and by contemplation and by living and thinking and acting in the light of faith and in the presence of god End of Lecture 14, Part 3